Time is now 3 p.m. Stay with us for a Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throne. Today is Super Tuesday, 6 November 2012. And you know what that means. We are in the maelstrom of a presidential election. It's too much stress. I can't take it at my age. Ah, I know all will be well, and all things will be well. If you haven't voted, get out and do it. If you can't figure out something, some proposition or some council member, just vote for the candidates and the issues you know. Just do it. Voting is not about your opinion anyway. It's like brushing your teeth. Just do it in case it helps. It's about damage control. Taking a few steps in the right direction, right, doing the doable, oh, achieving the achievable. <laughs> I even got Bill Clinton on my answering machine telling me not to fall for the hype on Proposition 32. Vote no, says Billy Blythe. I love that. That's his birth name. Billy Blythe, his biological dad was named Blythe, B-L-Y-T-H-E. And, of course, um, Bill was a posthumous baby. His dad had died in a car accident by the time he was born. And I think perhaps he would never have made it to the White House if his name had been Blythe. His stepdad was named Clinton, and now even Hillary Rodham is stuck with it. So much for patriarchy. Damn, I'm scattered today, scattered all over the map. I keep thinking of a day back in 1999. A day when I thought, so many of us thought Al Gore was a shoe-in for the White House, remember? I was over in Tommy's Joint in San Francisco. I was sitting there with... Oh, with a beer and a something, and the TV was on, and, oh, early, early evening, Hillary won her Senate seat in New York, and I jumped up and hugged strangers at the table. The women shouted, and then I got home, and the dark night began, the dark night of George W., eight years of historic disaster. Then, then came Barack Obama. 
2009 Inauguration Day and the largest public gathering in the history of the Capitol. <laughs> I saw all those people from what they call the Moses generation. Uh, the uh, people who, uh, who were part of the March on Washington. I remember one who spoke at the 1963 March on Washington, uh, the only one still alive who spoke that day. He was 23 at the time. Um, John Lewis, right. He's, let's see, 11th term representative from Georgia's 5th Congressional District. Uh, you can read about him in the New Yorker. There's a Nice article in the 5 November New Yorker in Talk of the Town all about uh, these two men running for president today. Uh, yes, the Moses generation, I think, of Jesse Jackson weeping. Ah, uh, uh, yes, I remember those days in the 60s probably better than I remember what's happened in the Last administration, Barack Obama, of course, does not have the scars from that time. He has his own past, his own story. The perils of his generation, um, Barack Hussein Obama, born 1961. My children born 60 and 62. Finally a president, the age of my own children. In 2009, he and Michelle and Sasha and uh, uh, Malia and uh, Michelle's mother, Mrs. Robinson, Marion Robinson, first grandmother, they slept in the White House. Right, it says here, right, it says here that in this article... In the New Yorker, November 5th, 2012, says the 47-year-old son of a white Kansan and a black Kenyan, uncommonly talented, if modestly credentialed legislator from Illinois, Chicago, right, took the oath of office as 44th Prez okay, Obama. His wife and daughter slept at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in the White House, built by black men, slaves of West African heritage, most of them. That White House built in, let's see, 92, 1792. Adams, Adams, Abigail and John Adams. Of course, yes, Lincoln had no slaves. I have a big book here that I... I hope I have time to read to you. I'm certainly going to read to you when I come back in two weeks. Uh, it's all about Barack's, what is the word, uh, historical journey to the White House. It's called The Bridge. It's by David Remnick, editor uh, of The New Yorker. I read some bits last week, but I wanted to read to you especially the bits about Abraham Lincoln and the folks that came to the White House in his day. Um, I refer you to a movie 
opening on November the 16th with Daniel Day-Lewis as Abraham Lincoln. I'm really looking forward to that. I think we may finally get something that at least has verisimilitude. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know whether we can ever know what happened in history, but we can get closer. We can maybe get a little closer. Anyway, Barack Obama succeeded. George W. Bush. You remember, you remember George, the two-term president whose misbegotten legacy measured in the money he squandered and the misery it inflicted has become only more evident with time. Uh, I don't know. Um, if you're a school teacher, you may want to take this article, the Talk of the Town article for November the 5th. Cut it out of the New Yorker and use it. Uh, it pretty much breaks down the uh, two men running for prayers. Uh, you may want to read it today before you go to the polls, in case you still have questions in your mind about uh, who you should choose. Uh, anyway, on Inauguration Day, back in 2009... The United States was in a downward financial spiral brought on by predatory lending, legally sanctioned greed, pyramid schemes, economic policy geared to the priorities and comforts of what would soon be called the 1%. This article goes on at great length to detail the general awfulness of those eight years and, of course, the hope that came to us in 2009 and then, of course, the inevitable disappointments because, of course, uh, the difference between the romance and the achievements, uh, well, we all knew that would happen. Uh, anyway, uh, the crisis of historical dimensions and global ramifications brought about by the Bush administration is still uh, part of our daily lives. Uh, um, according to the editors of The New Yorker, the slump was bound to last longer than any since the Great Depression. They go on about the grinding and unnecessary war in Iraq. Uh, yeah, that war killed 4,000 Americans and... 100,000 Iraqis. Yes, why do they hate us? Maybe because so many of us don't know why they hate us. America's standing in the world has been pretty well compromised. Uh, some of us hope that the president, our present president has restored honor to the office, at least, to the office of president. Uh, there are lists of things not done. There are lists of things well done. Uh, oh, yes, let me check this. It's a very long article, and it does talk a lot about money. Moloch, the great god, money, 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 <laughs> yes. At some point last night, I cracked and I turned everything political off. And I watched The Grapes of Wrath. That's all about poverty. Then I watched The Great Gatsby, all about wealth. Anyway, 
I remember the inauguration in 2009. <clears throat> I cut out that wonderful piece in the satirical paper, The Onion. They came up with a painfully apt inaugural headline, Black Men Given Nation's Worst Job. Of course, Barack began his presidency devoted to the idea of post-partisanship. You remember that. We're all going to be pals. Can't we all just get along? Anyway, the Republicans um, showed no greater interest in working with Obama than did the Ayatollahs. Uh, the Republicans, I remember Barack saying at some point that they were not interested in governing. And uh, the article here says that uh, the Republicans led by Dickensian skulls, right? <laughs> yes. I, I don't think they were so much from Dickens. Um, Dickensian skulls, says the New Yorker. Anyway, the Senate minority leader, <clears throat> Mitch McConnell, talked about uh, nothing but the president's, uh, what is it, uh, Poor judgment. They wanted to engineer the president's political destruction, and they tried to defeat his major initiatives. And sometimes they managed to do that. Um, you remember what fantastic expectations we had. Uh, uh, I list, well, my, my biggest question was the morality of the persistent use of predator drones. Still, still gives me nightmares. Uh, and of course, this year, we have nothing like the ecstasy of taking part in the great historical advance of 2009. However, the re-election of the first African-American president uh, is a serious matter. The re-election of a man who has been progressive, competent, rational, decent, and at times visionary, according to <laughs> the New Yorker, right, yes. I think it's damn serious. Uh, I think that we should be very grateful to uh, Barack Obama. Uh, the national shame inflicted by the Bush administration depressed the hell out of me, and I... Uh, I think, well, anyway, the money, the money, the money, the money. A couple more pages here about the money. Oh, check Paul Krugman if you have any doubts about the president's doing the best he could. With regard to the money, uh, it's very hard, as he told some journalist here, uh, right? Obama told the journalists, uh, you know, things really could have been a lot worse, he said. But how are you going to prove? How are you going to prove a counterfactual? Anyway, systemic reform. The list is long. Uh, oh, oh, a whole bunch of little things. Things, well, it isn't little. Things like the uh, AmeriCorps, the country's largest public service program, that was tripled in size. What Obama actually achieved was the vast reform of the national health care system. Five presidents since the end of the Second World War have tried to pass legislation 
that would ensure universal access to medical care. All were defeated by deeply entrenched opposition footnote here. I'm uh, still reading to you here a few bits from the uh, New Yorker article. Uh, they do point out that uh, the vast reform of the health care system was the president's great achievement. Uh, you will remember how Hillary Clinton tried and was unable to... Uh, handle that because of the deeply entrenched opposition I would recommend you check out. Uh, yeah, try the movie Bullworth. Yes, the insurance companies were the villains in that one, right? No way, boys and girls. Um, the president, bolstered by the political cunning of the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, succeeded. Succeeded in making some decent changes. Now, uh, some critics like me, yes, people like me, uh, would of course want the president to press for single-payer system, uh, right, Medicare for all. I think that, well, according to this article, in spite of its ample merit, such a system just had no chance of winning congressional backing. Right, he achieved the achievable, did the doable. Politics is the art of the possible. Ah, what did we call that act? Uh, the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. It's the single greatest expansion of the social safety net since the advent of Medicaid and Medicare back in 1965. Now, you must remember that not one Republican voted in favor of it. We are so weird. You know, I, I study on these matters and I think uh, the state, uh, our poorest state, Mississippi, the state with the lowest per capita income, <laughs> doesn't have any Democrats in office. They don't elect Democrats down there. They elect Republicans. I puzzle over these things. I scratch my head. I look for answers. I don't know. I go back to my, my, uh, what is it? My liberal, um, knee-jerk responses. I think that, of course, the president would be rewarded if he did good things, things I think of good thing, think of as good. I worry about his environmental record. Uh, it's not as barren as it might seem. The New Yorker says that the stimulus bill provided for extensive investment in green energy, biofuels, electric cars, uh, a lot of other stuff. So uh, maybe he'll be able to give that a push now that we've had this catastrophe back in New York. The environmental record, yes, I think maybe in his second term, he can deal with that. Um, also, the New Yorker says that the president's commitment to civil rights has gone beyond rhetoric. What did he do here? During his first week in office, he signed the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act. Got that? It protects women, minorities, and the disabled against unfair wage discrimination. What else did he do? 
our good guy, right? Uh, right. The gay men and lesbians, right? He ended the military's ban on the service of those who are openly gay. He endorsed marriage equality. That's a biggie. Finally, he appointed to the Supreme Court two highly competent women. One of them, uh, Sonia Sotomayor, is the court's first Hispanic. Now, those women are skilled and liberal-minded justices, and if for no other reason, get to the polls, because if we were to have a Republican in office for the next four years, uh, he might be able to appoint possibly two justices during his term in office. Remember, the justices on the Supreme Court are there for life. Okay, in the realm of foreign policy, okay, Barack Obama, <laughs> gosh, <laughs> there's some charming stuff here about uh, about the uh, the uh, Nobel Peace Prize, but I suppose it was patronizing and premature, but the president knew what was happening, uh, according to the piece in the New Yorker, Obama was embarrassed by the award. He recognized it for what it was. It was a rebuke to the Bush administration. Uh, still, uh, the Norwegians were also getting at something more affirmative. There was a good speech made in Cairo, famous speech that same year. Uh, Barack was trying to heal some of the wounds, not just from the Iraq war, but generally the wounds of Western colonialism in the Middle East. You know, the kind of speech that Mitt Romney calls, <laughs> Mitt Romney calls apologizing for the U.S. of A. I remember the late, great Jack Kennedy saying to uh, the world at large, don't look always at what we have done. Try to see, try to look at what we are trying to do. Okay, boys, yes. Uh, the president spoke at Al-Azhar University in Cairo, and uh, he expressed regret that the West had used Muslim countries as pawns in the Cold War game of risk. He spoke for the rights of women, spoke against torture, defended the legitimacy of the state of Israel while offering a straightforward assessment of the crucial issue of the Palestinians and their need for statehood, citing, quote, this is quote, humiliations, large and small, that is, humiliations done to the Palestinians. Uh, the humiliations that come with occupation, end quote. This was a very edifying speech, but uh, <laughs> the president, as we know now, uh, had to, well, he had to bump up against, against what the New Yorker piece calls autocrats like Vladimir Putin and Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Uh, I can never pronounce his name anyway. The autocrats hardened his spirit. 
Well, I'm not sure about Barack's spirit. I, I think that it is true, as this article says. He does sometimes um, appear insular or even, uh, what's the word, uh, a little withdrawn. They refer to his disdain for the unpleasant tasks of politics that cropped up in the first debate with Mitt Romney. You remember uh, Chris Matthews on MSNBC said that the president had to endure, that was his word, endure <laughs> the other fellow. I I I kind of enjoyed that. I, I think it's nice to see the president uh, shrug off the the uh, sort of nonsense that Mitt Romney represents I I I like to see uh I like to see a person who who doesn't suffer fools gladly on the other hand it was not smart politically uh it's the downside of his great temperament I like his temperament he's quite zen uh let's see what the uh, editors of the New Yorker Say, right, yes, about his being a human being, of course, and that certain insularity and so forth. But uh, they also point out, this is what I like, uh, uh, that Obama in 2008 uh, presented us with this unusual temperament. He's inspirational yet formal, cool, hyper-rational. And this is my favorite. This is a quote from the New Yorker's article. He promised to be the least crazy of presidents. The least erratic and unpredictable. There you go, folks. The least crazy of presidents. They go on to note that Nixon talked to paintings and <laughs> a few other things that I'm, I'm not going to, to uh, read you the uh, the little quips about. Other presidents. Um, I, my favorite used to be uh, the one about Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, a famous journalist once said, you, you must always remember that the president is four years old. Uh, anyway, we've got a grown-up in the White House is the way I would put it. Uh, uh, let's see. The, the New Yorker is very wise. They picked the triumph of his temperament as... Uh, Evidenced by the night that um, Obama uh, stood up at the White House Correspondents' Dinner and performed his duties with great charm and elan, you know, while knowing that he had, with no guarantee of success, dispatched Navy SEAL Team 6 to kill bin Laden. Aha! That was the time he really kept the... Uh, the mask on, I was thinking that is the scene or the moment for the movie. When the movie comes out, we will see Barack trying to keep it together that night at the dinner. Uh, anyway, uh, the second half of this article in the New Yorker talks about Obama's Republican challenger, Willard, Willard is his name, Willard Mitt Romney. Uh <laughs> Oh, good Lord, uh, read and weep. Uh, too grim for me, too grim. I think that they give him a pretty fair shake. 
He certainly is a piece of work, this GOP gentleman. Most frightening to me is the fact that all those qualities that would recommend him to me are those qualities uh, which he has had to uh, put aside in order to keep the base of his party happy. Uh, there's every reason to believe him now, though, when he says that he's going to tack to the right and go with the Tea Party boys and girls. Uh, I'm a little ashamed of the way he uh, uses Barack's otherness to uh, criticize him. Anyway, I'll be back on the air in two weeks. Uh, and until then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, what the hell, don't go. It's the season for the 11th annual Pacifica Radio Archives Campus campaign broadcast on the Pacifica Airwaves, Tuesday and Wednesday, November 13th and 14th. This is Yo-Yo Ma, a supporter of the Pacifica Radio Archives Campus Campaign National Education Project broadcast. Join us for year four of our campus campaign where you get the chance to help us take our history out of the vault and into the classroom. There isn't anything quite like this any place. You donate and get a jump drive with hundreds of hours of history on it. This year, 360 hours for all four campus campaign volumes. And we send a copy of your selected historic recordings to a school, college, teacher, or just another friend. You get to decide. The campus campaign coming soon. For more information, go to supportpra.org. Listen to History Come Alive on November 13th and 14th on all five Pacifica stations.